I hope you have a Bible with you today. I want you to open it up over to Jude chapter 1. Now let me say, if you have more than one chapter in Jude, you better get rid of your Bible because that's not the Word of God. There's only one chapter there. Today we are covering, actually today and next week, the ground we are covering is of paramount importance. As a matter of fact, I believe this week and next week are two of the most important messages I could ever preach and give to you and give to those who may be you know, watching through internet or whatever because folks gets at the very core of true salvation. Now you know we're in a, an extended series, Secure Forever, God's Promise or Our Perseverance based on a book I wrote uh, quite a few years ago now. And um, true salvation and its relationship to the Christian life. Why is this important? Why is this such an important thing? Well, because we're dealing with foundation. And if your foundation is not true, and if it is not solid, you are building something very faulty on it. Listen, I meet people on a regular basis and talk to people and email people, and so many of them are confused. There are people who are living in total fear because they don't have the eternal question answered. They still think that their salvation is based on their works and not on the work of Christ. And, and it is incredible torment, folks, that people living. It's, it's a life of torture if they will take it seriously. And let me say, this issue, you better take it seriously because you're going to spend eternity somewhere, Okay. I know secularism and and different religions, you know, they teach, okay, once you're dead, you're dead, that's it. That is an absolute lie. Jesus Christ proved that was false when he came back from the dead. There is life after death. And you're going to either spend forever with God in heaven, or you'll spend forever separated from God and in a literal hell. A literal hell. You see, mankind is born lost. We need a savior to save us from an eternity in hell to living with God forever in heaven. And what did God do? Well, because he loved us so much, he understood there's nothing we could do of ourselves to save ourselves. And so he himself took on flesh and made the payment for us. Let me explain it to you. If this hand were to represent you and me and let this wallet represent our sin, Here we are. We all have sin on us. Now, God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. You see, sin separates us from the Lord. You cannot get to heaven, listen, with even one sin. What is a sin? The word sin means to miss the mark. It means you have fallen short of God's standard, or you violated God's word. You've broken one of his commandments. And we've all done that. And we all do that. And by the way, even if you're saved, you're going to do it in the future. And if you deny that, well, the Bible says in first John that you're a liar. It actually says that. Okay. I'm not making that up. See, we're all sinners. Now we who are Christians, when we still sin, that's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. Actually, it's a bad thing when anybody sins. But for believers, believers do still sin, but God says, no, I want you to confess that to me and then, and then move on. But here you go. Here's man lost. He has sin. God says he loves us. He hates our sin. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless, and none of us are. So then how are we going to get there? God says sin has to be paid for, and if we do it, we'll spend forever separated from God in hell. Now, God doesn't want that for us. 
Because as you heard in the song today, God loves the world. God loves the world and he loves you. And he's provided for you a way to live forever with God in heaven. Isn't it amazing today people say, I can't believe in a God who'd send people to hell. Now let me just touch on that. This is kind of like a quick sidebar. God doesn't send anyone to hell, okay? Contrary to that, he has taken care of the sin problem for us and he has made it as simple and as easy as possible for you to never spend one second even close to hell. He offers salvation as a gift. Let me explain it to you. The Bible says that heaven's a perfect place. You can't get there by your good works. We're all already disqualified, okay? Most people think it's good works that'll get rid of sin. God says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. See, if you've got to be perfect, you could put a whole lifetime of good works on top of your sin. It will not take it away. It may make you look better living a righteous life, but it won't pay for your sin. And you can't get to heaven with sin. You have to be sinless. So how are you going to do that? Well, God so loved you and me that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, sinless. He lived a perfect life. And when he went to the cross of Calvary, when he died on the cross, he did not die for himself. He had done nothing wrong. Even Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. He died for our sins. He came to be our substitute. He took our sin upon himself. He made the complete payment for sin, leaving us nothing left to pay for. And he rose from the grave. And the Bible says if you'll put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ, that he made that payment for you, he will give you that moment everlasting life. It's the greatest news in all the world. That's the message of the gospel. And the word gospel means good news. And can I tell you, friends, that's good news. Now, if you have to live a perfect life to get to heaven, that's not good news because none of us could do it. If you even had to live a good life to get to heaven, well, how good is that? How long do you have to do it? How many good things do you have to do? Well, God says, remember, God says you have to be sinless. None of us are. Therefore, you might as well quit trusting in yourself and put your trust in Christ instead. All right? Now, this is the gospel. When we trust Christ as Savior, that very moment, we are what the Bible says in John 3, born again. Born again, that word again means literally from above, but it is true that it's again or a second time because it's a new birth. We have the physical birth when we come into this world as little humans, okay, little babies into the world. Uh, but born again means a spiritual birth, not a natural birth. When we trust Christ, we're born into the family of God and become the children of God. Now listen, contrary to religion, this new birth is not the end, but rather the beginning, okay? See, religion has the idea, well, if you can become, if you can get life guaranteed, eternal life, that takes care of everything. It does take care of where you'll spend eternity, but listen, you need to see it as a new birth. Now you've been born into the family of God. Now we're children of God. And the Bible says, right when we get saved, we're babies in the family, now, don't be offended by that for me to say you're a baby, okay? Well, I was once a spiritual baby, okay? That's just the way it is. When you're born, you're a baby. You don't come out full adult, okay? Now, this is, uh, isn't that funny how the mind works? 
You don't come out a full adult, and I thought of uh, what awful things women have to go through. And then I'm thinking, you know what? This is Labor Day weekend. (laughs) But that's not what Labor Day is about. All right. Now, this new birth, again, it's not the end but the beginning. Just as human parents give birth to their children and those children are their children from that point on, God gives birth to his children and they are his children from that point on. Do you know what that means? That means once you're saved, you can't be lost. Now, this is a big deal. How big is it? It's the difference between heaven and hell. Eternal security is not a separate doctrine from salvation. Now, I know there are people who are saved who are mixed up on this. I believe that. But those who are mixed up on this, who did get saved at one point and then got under false teaching, you might say, well, do you just assume they're saved? No, I assume they're lost. Because if you are trusting in your own merit or faithfulness, friends, to get to heaven or to stay going to heaven... There is serious doubt that you ever trusted Christ as your Savior, okay? It's all about Christ. It's not about us. There are no verses in the Bible that talk about us becoming unborn once we're born. Nor does the Bible teach that we can be born again and again and again and again, like the Arminians believe. You can be saved and lose it, saved and lose it, saved and lose it. No, 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 no. Jesus said you must be born again. He didn't say you must be born again and again and again and again. The Bible is abundantly clear that once we are saved, we are saved forever. The Bible says we have everlasting life, okay? This speaks of divine preservation. In other words, God preserves us. God keeps us saved. Now listen, The preservation of the saints is different than the perseverance of the saints. I know those words sound a lot alike, but they're not the same. Preservation of the saints means we are preserved. We have eternal security. The perseverance of the saints means that you are persevering in hopes of making it. That's salvation by works, and it's not biblical. The Bible clearly teaches preservation, but it is the Lord who keeps us saved after we have trusted Christ. Okay, Jude 1, 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved, where? In Jesus Christ and called. Who does the preserving? The Lord does, okay? Now, I love preserves. Strawberry preserves, raspberry preserves, rhubarb preserves. Man, that's off the charts, right? These kind of things. I mean, there's just nothing better. I remember Maxine when she was with us. She made strawberry preserves, and that just was off the charts as far as delicious. Well, guess what? God has child preserves. He does the preserving. We don't preserve ourselves. He preserves us, okay? We are preserved in Christ. This is eternal security, and this is where many people become Confused. Some believe that our preservation is in our hands. But folks, listen, if it is up to us to keep ourselves preserved and going to heaven, then we are in very feeble, even impossible hands. If it's up to me to keep myself saved, how are you going to do that? How faithful do you need to be? In what areas? For how long? Be honest about it. Don't blow this off as unimportant. 
Don't say, well, you know what? You you can't tell me. You just got to be faithful. Really? The Bible says it's not of works. Being faithful is you working, you earning it, you working to get it, okay? Staying faithful. No, 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 no. Or keep it. That's not what the Bible says. We cannot keep ourselves saved any more than we can save ourselves to begin with, okay? If you can't save yourself, then what makes you think you can keep yourself saved? Paul said it so beautifully in Galatians chapter 3. He said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. You received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now the Galatian believers would have said, oh, by faith. But look what he says. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? You got saved through faith in Christ. What makes you think you stay saved by your works? That's what he's saying. Of course, the answer to that, obviously, is no, you can't do that. You see, if we could not save ourselves to begin with, we cannot live perfectly enough to keep ourselves saved. You can't. Now, you know, folks, listen, when somebody says to you, oh, yeah, well, you get saved, it's by faith Faith alone in Christ, but you got to be faithful too. Ask them, how faithful do you have to be? That's a legitimate question, okay? Now, hopefully they won't go run and hide behind a building or something like that when you say it, but ask them, how faithful do you have to be? Well, you got to be faithful. Okay, how faithful though? I mean, what does that mean to be faithful? Ask questions, folks. Ask them. What does that mean to be faithful? Well, you, you got to read your Bible. Okay, how often do you have to read your Bible? How many hours a day or minutes a day do you have to read your Bible? Here's what people say because they don't have an answer. See, they always accuse you of something wrong. They'll say something like, well, you're being ridiculous. No, it's a legitimate question. Folks, those without answers always call the others names. Have you ever noticed that? That's the way they do. How do we know salvation is permanent? Is this just wishful thinking? Is there any scriptural foundation to such a belief that once you're saved, you're saved forever? Well, you know what we're going to do today? We are starting to look at 12 biblical reasons that once you're saved, you're saved forever. Okay? 12 reasons that salvation is permanent once you have it. Number one is this. Salvation is permanent because Christ paid for all sin. Turn with me in your Bible over to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Now again, this is foundational today, what we're covering. Incredibly, incredibly important. Acts chapter 13. Salvation is permanent because Christ paid for all sin. Now, you saw my illustration just a moment ago. Okay, here we are. We're sinners. Here's our whole lifetime of sin. Jesus came. Watch this now. Jesus came, and when he died on the cross, what did he do? He took all of our sin upon himself, and he made the payment. Okay? Let's say in your lifetime you commit a million sins. We'll just round it off. A million. I said, well, not me. I... <clears throat> okay, 999 1,999, okay? Or now are you happy? If you take 1 million and you subtract 1 million, what do you have left? Zero, right? Simple math, right? Remember math? Let's say, well, I'm better than that. Okay, let's say 100,000. 
If you take 100,000 and you subtract 100,000, how many do you have left? Zero, same thing. You might say, well, not me. I'm a good person. I've lived a good life. Maybe in my life, maybe I've committed 50 sins. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, can I tell you this? You just committed another one because you're, you're being self-righteous because the truth of it is you've committed a whole lot more than that, especially if you're an adult. But let's say you've done 50. 50 minus 50 equals what? Zero. Zero. Salvation is permanent because Christ paid for all sin. Acts 13, verse 38, it says this, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, referring to Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. We'll talk about that word in just a minute. And look at the words, All that believe are justified, declared righteous, from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. If you will, as we covered earlier, if you will put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ, you believe that he's paid for all of your sins. He says, God declares you as righteous. That's what the word justified means. Now you notice what's preached unto us, the forgiveness of sins. The word forgiveness means to cause, to send away, to release one's sins from the sinner. Who does that? God does. You don't do it. I don't do it. God does. Now, all that believe are justified from how many things? All things. So listen, friend, if Christ has paid for all of my sin, and by the way, when he died for me, all my sins were in the future. I hadn't been born yet. If Christ has paid for all my sins, then what in the world is going to send me to hell? There's nothing to send me to hell. People say, well, if you quit believing, we're getting to that this morning. And by the way, that would be the sin of what? Unbelief. You know, once you're saved, all your sins are paid for. Would it include that one? It would include that one. Hey, listen, if it doesn't include that for the believer, if it doesn't include that, then Jesus didn't pay for all sin. Are you with me? But many of people, many people object to this truth. They believe that you can walk away from God and in that lose your salvation. Now, the Arminian theology people believe that, okay? Now listen, I'm, I'm not trying to step on toes or be mean this morning, but the doctrine of groups such as the assemblies of God and so forth, they believe you can walk away from your salvation. I've talked to many folks in the assembly say, oh no, salvation is just a gift. Through faith alone and Christ alone, salvation is just a gift. I've had them tell me this. I said, well, is there anything you can do to lose it? Well, no, no. Oh, that's great. So there's nothing you could do to lose your salvation. No, no, nothing. Well, if you got to where you didn't want to believe anymore, then you would lose your salvation. Oh, so there is a way you can lose your salvation. Back and forth, back and forth. Listen, no. There is no way you can lose your salvation once you have it. Why? Because how would you lose it? It's always, they'll tell you, well, it's always through sinning. Well, then how do you keep it? It would have to be by not sinning. So what is that? It's being faithful. So you're telling me then you're getting to heaven by being faithful. No, you're not going to heaven by being faithful because it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is permanent because Christ paid for all sin. He has forgiven all of our sins, okay? When you trust in Christ, he forgives you. 
He sends your sins away. He releases you from all your sins. That's one reason we could know for sure that we have eternal life. And you notice it says in verse 39, all that believe are justified from all things. The word all, guess what that means? Oh, it's a special word in the Greek. The word all means all. It's the same in any language. It simply means 100% of all there is. That's what it means. If I was selling apples and I had a basket of apples and I sold all my apples and there were no more apples in my basket and you said, how many apples did you sell? And I said, I sold all of them. Well, you wouldn't expect to look in my basket and find one or two. You would figure, well, I can look in his basket. There's nothing, nothing's gonna be there. Why? They're all gone. Hey, guess what, folks? When you trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior, all your sins are gone. All your sins, even the future ones, because when Jesus died, you hadn't been born yet. If he paid for any of your sins, he paid for all of them. Okay. When Jesus died on the cross, he said in John 19, 30, Jesus therefore had received the vinegar. He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. The word finished means paid in full. What was paid in full? The payment for sin had been made. Paid in full. That means he paid for all sin. All you need to do is believe that he did that for you. The required payment needed to pay for sins has been paid in full. Listen to me. Your sin, my sin, has been paid in full. That's good news. All you need to do is believe Jesus did that for you. You're trusting in him as your way to heaven. And he gives you that moment everlasting life. He saves you by the grace of God and you're eternally secure. There's no sins left to be paid for. It is through that perfect one-time payment that our Lord Jesus Christ provides for us what the Bible calls, what a glorious term, I want you to see it. Look with me over to Hebrews chapter 9. I'll tell you what, this phrase gets me excited. Hebrews 9, it says in verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, referring to Jesus, he entered in once into the holy place, look at these words, having obtained, look at this, eternal redemption for us. Redemption means to redeem, to, to buy out of the slave market by paying a price. What was the price paid? It says right there, it's by his blood. He shed his blood to pay for our sins. And what does that buy for us? Eternal redemption. So friend, if you are redeemed at all, you're redeemed eternally. There is no such thing as a temporary redemption. You don't find that anywhere in the pages of scripture. If it is eternal redemption, then once we have it, we have it. Once we've been redeemed, that redemption will last forever. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. God only gives one kind of redemption. I love that. You know, you, you, we can go into stores and there's all these choices. You go down a cereal aisle in America, man alive, it'll make your head spin. All the choices. By the way, you go overseas, you go into some of the markets overseas, you want cereal? One kind, maybe two, okay? You go to America, you've got so many choices, it's amazing, okay? So what do you do? You just go right to the Captain Crunch and you pick that up and... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't really even care for it. I cared for it when I was a kid somewhat, but not anymore. Anyways, I'm into, you know, serious cereal like 
Lucky Charms, things like that. <laughs> Just kidding on that one. I don't really care for those either. But here's the point. Eternal redemption. The price has been paid and God will give it to you as a gift, okay? Number two, salvation is permanent because believers have been declared by God as righteous. God is the one who declares the believer righteous. It's not those of us looking at each other and saying, hey, I like you. I think you're righteous. Will you say the same thing to me? You're righteous too. Oh, I guess I'm righteous now. That doesn't matter one bit. But what really matters, folks, is in light of eternity, when God looks at me and he says, I declare you as righteous, that's a big deal. That's a very big deal. God is the one who determines who goes to heaven and who does not. And he has ordained that those who trust in Jesus Christ as Savior are justified. That word justified means declared righteous by him. If it is settled in the eyes of God, then nothing can change that because he has made the declaration. The judge of the universe has spoken. The judge of the universe has spoken, and his declaration is clear. Look at it with me in Romans chapter 8. Here in Romans 8, verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can stand against us? Isn't that great? Who's bigger than God? Nobody. Who's more powerful than God? Nobody. Well, what about that devil? He's nothing compared to God. He's a fallen, created being. If God be for us, who can stand against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also, notice that next word, freely give us all things? Now, I love this. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Now, that's simple. The self-righteous people in church. But you know who doesn't do it? Our Heavenly Father. When you trust Christ as Savior, you become a child of God. And it says, who shall, and who's the, the elect here? It's, it's referring to those who will put their faith in Christ. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. So can't you see the devil coming and you sin a sin? You've trusted Christ as your Savior, but you sin a sin. And he comes along and says, hey, look at this one. Look what they did. They told a lie today. They lost their temper. They said a word that they used to say and haven't said in a while, but they said it and they're ashamed of themselves. And you're going to let them into heaven? And the judge of eternity says, yes, because my son paid the price and there's nothing, no charges against them. He's the one who controls who gets in and who doesn't, folks. And he has declared the believer as righteous in his eyes. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's evil? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? Who has the power to condemn? Only God, right? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. You see, the payment by the blood of Christ has eternal results. And so... Look at it this way. Now, I don't know. This may be a little crude, but look at it this way, okay? I trust Christ as Savior. All my sins are forgiven, okay? Got that? But as a believer, I go on through life and I sin. The blood of Christ comes along as soon as I sin. Nope, nope, nope. 
Why not? Jesus, he made the payment. He said, it's finished. It's paid in full. Nothing can be held against my child. Folks, that's why if nothing's going to be held against us and God says that, we can know we're going. And you know what it says that? Look at it. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. We'll get to the rest of that passage in just a minute. Leads us to our third point. Salvation is permanent because everlasting life is everlasting. Why can children get this and theologians cannot? Okay? I am so tired of people saying everlasting doesn't mean everlasting. Well, friend, you know what you need to do? You need to go back to elementary school and take vocabulary again or spelling or whatever you want to call it and learn what the word means. Children get it. Why can't we? It's just like going round and round with a knight. He's a nice man on the internet, but he's a Calvinist. And he sent me an article on John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he says, now we're here. He says, have you ever heard of A.W. Pink? Yes, I've heard of A.W. Pink. He's a world-renowned Calvinist. And if you are a Calvinist, a true Calvinist, I totally reject your theology. And so does the Bible, by the way, which is way more important than I am. Friend, listen, here's what Pink says. Well, the word world doesn't necessarily mean everybody in the world because it's used different ways of Scripture. I'll give you that. It's used different ways in Scripture. You know, sometimes it's talking about the planet on which we live and, and so forth. But the definition or the meaning is determined by the context. And if you just read John 3.16 like it is, you can't come up with anything else unless you're approaching it with a preconceived idea. Salvation is permanent because everlasting life is everlasting. Look at it, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. It doesn't say believe in his baptized, believes in promises, believes in surrenders, believes in pledges, believes in turns, believes. Jesus was either telling the truth or he wasn't. And he can't do anything but tell the truth because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. This is so simple. Everlasting, what does it mean? It means everlasting. Break the word down. Everlasting. What does that mean? It's lasting ever, forever, everlasting. Okay? Never stops. Once you have it, it never stops. It means eternal, perpetual, forever, endless, ageless, dateless, timeless, everlasting, infinite, permanent, ceaseless. That's taken from the Complete Word Study Dictionary. I didn't make it up. It states when referring to eternal life, it means the life which is God's, and hence it is not affected by the limitations of time. I love it. (laughs) Isn't that great? Now, listen. We may not get past this point, but I have to cover that. I've never addressed this in detail, but it needs to be addressed in detail today because with the growth of Calvinism today, there's a dark shadow that's coming across the world in this area of the word believe. And they are hijacking the word believe and they are trying to appeal to the Greek. Now, let me say this. For those of us who are normal people, Whenever somebody has to go deep detail into the Greek, now I'm going to do it in a minute, but I have to. I don't like to, but I have to. 
You can read your Bible and come up with the truth and not know any Greek. But, and when somebody starts going deep into the Greek to prove their point, especially when their point sounds weird to begin with by normal people, you be suspect, your flag should go up. Or kind of like the ears on a Doberman, say, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. Well, it's not right. Here's what's going on. See, a not-so-new false argument has come up that says you must continue to believe to have everlasting life. In other words, believing in a point in time is not enough. You must continue in faith to have that everlasting life. Now, if you ever, and they say, if you ever stop trusting, you will lose it. And they appeal to what's called the present tense. It's a verb tense. And we have it, we have it in English. They appeal to the present tense, but this is a misunderstanding of the present tense. Now, please get this down, folks. This is a rampant, ever-growing problem today that people just don't get. One lexicon says this about the present tense, and I agree. The present tense represents a simple statement of fact or reality viewed as occurring in actual time. In most cases, this corresponds directly with the English present tense. Now, in John 3.16, I've had people argue with me, and they'll say, well, the word believe there is in the present tense. So it doesn't mean if you believe in a point in time, you're saved forever. It says you have to keep believing. And if you ever stop believing, then you lose your salvation. No, friend, you don't understand the present tense. Now, yes, I agree in John 3, 16, believeth is present tense, that is true. Believeth is present tense, but so is have everlasting life, present tense. Have everlasting life, that's present tense. What is it saying? Here's present tense, got it? It's so simple. If I believe right now, I have everlasting life right now. What about five minutes from now? If I believe in Christ five minutes from now, the moment I believe in Christ, I have everlasting life. It doesn't take away the nature of everlasting. It simply means any time that I do that, it's true. But it doesn't mean I have to keep doing it to have the result. It's just saying any time I do it, it will happen or it's true. The same would be true if I trusted in Christ tomorrow or the next day or the next day. In other words, whenever I did it, I would have it. And it would be forever from that moment on because everlasting is everlasting. One commentator said this, and this is wonderful illustration. Quote, we might say whoever believes that Rockefeller is a philanthropist will receive a million dollars. At the point in time a person believes this, he's a millionaire. However, if he ceases to believe this 10 years later, he is still in possession of the million dollars. Similarly, if a man has believed in Christ, he is regenerate and is in possession of eternal life, even if he ceases to believe in God in the future. Now, there are people who say, I can't believe that. Why not? Why can't you believe it? The truth of it is you can't believe it because you don't understand how great the grace of God is that God would do that, friend. That's what the problem is. Show that to me in the Bible. I am so glad you asked. Look with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. You know, most people don't even know this verse is here. They'll focus on verse 12, but they won't go to verse 13. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13, it says this. Now, now listen. 
I don't know why, once you've trusted Christ as Savior, you would ever want to not believe in Christ anymore. I don't know why you would want to do that. Matter of fact, I don't know anybody who has, but there's probably somebody who has gone through some difficulty in time and has gotten bitter towards God and, and said, you know what, I just don't believe in you anymore. Well, I don't know if they really don't or not, but whatever. But friends, that doesn't change the fact of what God did for them earlier. He saved them and he gave them everlasting life. And he did a lot more than just that, by the way. That's why we're covering these things. But look at 2 Timothy 2.13. It says, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. See, we can deny him. We can fail him, but Jesus never fails. Look up here. If this was me and this is the Lord, when I trusted Christ as Savior, I took him as my Savior and he got a hold of me. And you know what, folks? I can fail. I can fail, but he never fails. He never fails. As a matter of fact, I could get bitter at God and say, oh God, you know what? I'm just, why did you let that happen to me? And I don't want to believe in you anymore. And and I don't want to have anything. You know what? I may feel that way, but he doesn't feel that way towards me. Wait a minute. I'm a child of God. God doesn't give birth to temporary children. I'm getting ahead of myself in this series here. All this so beautifully goes together, though. Look at John 5, 24. This will be our last passage. You've got to get this. Now, for those who, and I've had discussion, we'll call it that, with Calvinists on this issue, because they love that John 3, say, oh, that's present tense, though. You have to keep believing. You have to keep believing. Okay, smarty. Jesus clarifies it all. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Now, again, I got to go back into the Greek stuff, okay? I like what one man said. Oh, yeah, I know a little Greek. He owns a restaurant downtown, you know. <laughs> John five twenty four. Jesus, again, speaking just like he did in 316. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. That's the promise. You'll never be condemned if you believe, and shall not come into condemnation, but look at the last part, but is passed or has passed from death unto life, okay? Here's what happens. Here I am, a sinner, lost. Here's the gospel, okay? When I trust Christ, or the door to heaven, so to speak, when I trust Christ the Savior, I believe the gospel, I pass through that door, and he says, you'll never come into condemnation. You've passed from death unto life, all right? Now listen carefully. Look at verse 24. And as you're looking at the verse, let me explain this. In John 5, 24, it says, He that heareth my word and believeth on him. Heareth is present tense. Believeth is present tense. But, catch this. Where it says is passed from death unto life is the perfect tense. And you might say, what in the world does that mean? I'll tell you. The perfect tense in Greek describes an action which is viewed as having been completed in the past once and for all, not ever needing to be repeated. It is perfect. As a matter of fact, when I quoted to you John 19, 30, when Jesus said, it is finished, perfect tense, never having to be done again. Now listen, here's what it is. Here's what John 5, 24. Whenever anybody hears my word and believes, they have everlasting life. Whenever they do it, they will not come into condemnation, but they have forever 
once and for all, passed from death unto life. Isn't that good? That is rich, folks. That is rich. In other words, the payment was complete once and for all, not needing to be repeated. Look with me to John chapter 6. You're in John 5. Look at chapter 6. Jesus said this in verse 47, as simply and as clearly as could ever be. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath, present tense, possesses now, everlasting life. Can I ask you today, have you believed or trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Believing he's the only way to heaven. Believing there's no other way. Have you trusted him as your Savior? You might say, I have done that. Then based on what the Bible says, based on what Jesus says, you have everlasting life. You can be sure you're going to heaven. Why? Because Jesus said it and he can't lie. If you've never trusted Christ, would you do that today? Maybe you're here and you've always thought, well, no, you know, I need, to, I need to persevere. I need to be faithful. I need to be good. I need to do all these things. That's all relying on your own merit to get you to heaven. It's the merits of Christ that save you, not yours. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Would you please trust Christ as your Savior, dear friend? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.